you've reached Tina at your Backup Plan podcast. I'm so anxious and excited to be here today for this unbelievable show about talking about Jimi Hendrix's untold story, untold chapter in his life of revealing conversations. And we only have half of our party here today, so we're going to do what we can for you guys because I know that it's of interest and, of course, of a real nature, real life, real life story. So stay tuned and we'll bring on Sir Johan, who is going to give us some insight. Be right back. We're back. Awesome. Let's get right into the party here today. We were waiting for Leon Hendricks and only half of our parties showed up. The best part, right, Sir Johan, is the CEO of the Jimi Hendrix Family oh, Foundation the out of Vancouver, BC. The Welcome. Best the best part? I think Leon would be the I'm boring. Leon's interesting. Well, it's okay because we only got half of us here, so. Okay, okay. You know. What we can do. I understand that Leon's stuck in a recording studio somewhere, so. Uh, yeah. That's the life of a musician. It sounds like it, yes. yes. Yeah. So how are you? We'll do what we can, right? Yeah. yeah. So do you want to start with sort of Leon's story of, of Jimi Hendrix's brother and... I guess we can start with where it started with uh, the Vancouver, the family being a Vancouver family to begin with. Uh, Al Hendrix was born in the Vancouver General Hospital along with all his brothers and sisters. And that's the Canadian connection there for a couple of generations before Jimmy and Leon were born. And then uh, Al ended up going to Seattle, hooked up with Lucy. And then they ended up having five children in total. Of course, Leon and Jimmy being one of them. Uh, oh, in this case, two of them, I should say. And yeah. uh, and then, uh, but they spent the majority of their time in Vancouver as, from kids. Because when I first met Leon, it was kind of like he wanted to go and revisit everything in Vancouver to see what was still there from the days when he was in Vancouver. So, Oh, wow. That must have changed a lot. Yeah, well, it's kind of an interesting journey because you don't know it unless you get it directly from the horse's mouth in this case. And... Uh, so, yeah, so it's kind of interesting to go to all these places and him and Jimmy used to go to back in the day because, again, you know, like I say to people, Jimmy's so Canadian, he could have played Woodstock, Ontario, and it could have been O Canada he played. Uh, absolutely. You know, it's unbelievable to think that he passed away in 1970. We were talking about this backstage. Yeah. And in four years of a career, what an influence he had, like, for years and years. And in one generation, it's not as if it's from a family of notable musicians or incredibly talented people. So uh, there's always that one family member, I guess, that can come along that's an Elon Musk or Bill Gates or, in this case, a Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so. And Leon is also a musician at heart, of course. And yeah. So it's in the blood somewhere. Well, yeah, I remember the first time I met Leon, and it's kind of like uh, he was playing guitar, and because I've watched a lot of Jimmy video in the past because of being a guitar player and just kind of figuring out how, what made this person tick. It was kind of interesting to watch his hands and his fingers are a lot like Jimmy's, so it was kind of an interesting uh, visualization to sort of look at these fingers. I'm going, wow, this kind of looks like Jimmy's hand, but, uh, but you know, Leon learned how to play guitar a little late in his life. He didn't, you know, he way back then, he 
could have had a master class with a master, but he wasn't interested at the time. Yeah. Even though Jimmy gave him a couple of guitars, you know, so, uh, but yeah, it wasn't until later on he picked it up. Like, picked, like later on in his 20s or later on in? Oh, oh, 40s. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who sits down and wants to be a guitar player at 40 years old? Usually it's like you see in your 20s or teens, right? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, but you know what? If you got a little bit of that blood in your bloodstream and uh, a little bit of ambition, you can do what he's done. And he's done fairly well with basically being a loop, uh, you know, a late bloomer, right? So. Oh, it's un unreal, really, to think. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd want to pick up a guitar in my 40s. No, it has to be in your blood. Absolutely. Well, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll re, re say that. I wouldn't mind picking it up in my 40s if it was just me playing around my house and everything, but to be thrown in front of an audience, that's the next step, right? So, yeah. And where is he playing in the next month or two? Okay, so there's a big pile of gigs booked right across Europe because there's a lot of places that still love Jimmy over there. And, um, and of course, Leon's got his own music, so he combines the two music together. But places like Croatia and... Uh, I believe he's going to the Netherlands or something being lined up in England. So, uh, yeah. So, and what happens is usually when he goes there, all of a sudden all these other people want to book him because he happens to be there. Right. And they're able to talk to him or get access to him. So uh, that opens up other business opportunities for him, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he has a big family himself, I guess. Sorry. He has a big family himself. Maybe for even if internationally, but I've never asked him about that. Oh. <laughs> um, he, well, I read he has six kids, but. Yeah, that's correct. Yes, yes. So that's a pretty big family he has, but, uh, yeah. and, and to be as busy in that music world. Yeah, and, and, and they're all talented in their own individual areas. But the one that I really admire a lot is Tina Hendricks that has the, uh, the music academy in Seattle that takes at-risk youth to keep them away from guns, drugs, and gangs by getting them involved in the you know music industry or playing an instrument or reschooling and uh, basically keeping a clean nose in life and keep them away from guns, drugs, and gangs. So she's wow. doing good. I'm quite proud of her. That's amazing. Really, a strong, really a strong personality, but she does great work. And does, what does she play? Anything in particular? I think she plays violin and uh, some guitar, but mostly a recording studio type of a person. So production, oh, cool. production oh. engineering, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and we tried to get Leon here. If you just came on our show, uh, he's trapped in a music room in a, in a session of some sort. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're doing our best with uh, talking about where in the 1970s, what happened with the family then, with Jimmy dying? Well, like would be like anybody else's family, shock and, um, you know, upheaval and everything like this. Because uh, when Jimmy passed away, Leon was actually in some kind of a, a correctional facility at that particular time for, I don't know, driving without a license again or whatever. But uh, that's how he heard about it. He was pulled down to the offices and the warden told him it, that it happened so of course you know incredible sinking feeling right oh yeah because don't forget leon's gone on some of the tours with him and you know watch him play and uh even when he played here back in vancouver i mean um uh you know he played the pacific coliseum are you aware of that yes right so terry david mulligan did that interview back in the day 
and he's actually an old friend of our our family because I have three older half brothers that went to school with him. But uh, yeah, and of course Jimmy was asking about the annex in Vancouver where he went to school, and uh, yeah, so it's kind of kind of neat to see that. Absolutely, especially from Vancouver. Well, yeah, exactly. So he had all the uncles and aunts and cousins and Leon at that show in Vancouver. So, uh, so if you go to the Pacific Coliseum, you might still hear some Jimmy in the hallway somewhere. Yeah. Rising. Yeah. Staying around. Exactly. So yeah. So then um, that, from what I understand, way back then, that was a sold out show. So. Wow. And and to think his career was able to move the way it was just from coming from Vancouver. It wasn't like you said, he wasn't from New York or from London, England or anything. Yeah, like nothing like from Vienna or anything like that, where, you know, you start learning music at uh, three or four years old and you become something at the end of the day, right? So, uh, but pretty humble, you know, beginnings from Vancouver to Seattle and then getting on the Chitlin circuit because uh, Jimmy got into trouble back in the day with the law and he had a choice of going to jail or joining the military. And he joined the military. And that's when he came across uh, Billy Cox when he was in the military. And that uh, then the two of them hooked up and then ended up playing all these places in southern states on the Chitlin circuit. And, of course, learning every little guitar hook and uh, trick and everything that you can well imagine on that, uh, you know, on that excursion of the musical exploration of what became Jimmy. That's amazing because I can't imagine the passion that you would have, you know, where it would, could probably take you away from the other crap in life, probably. Just well, yeah, it was a form of escapism for him because of a bit of an abusive upbringing and stuff like this. But um, the thing is, is you know, don't forget, Jimmy just didn't pick up a guitar one day and was a genius. He had a great idea, but he also worked at it ninety nine point nine percent of the time. He wore it twenty four hours a day. Yeah. So, you know, he put in, a, he put his 10, 15,000, 20,000 hours into it before, uh, you know, he was able to really get ahead before he ended up in, in England and thank heavens that being discovered at the Cafe Juan and, um, you know, making that journey over to England and basically blending in with the music people that were there because, you know, Jimmy had an advantage. All these people that were in, in England listening to like, bb king or buddy got i mean jimmy played with all these guys yeah you know and uh i think they were a little surprised when he found out this young kid played with all these people and was on that circuit met all these people and played with these people and has a huge advantage right i mean he was yeah. getting master classes not realizing he was getting master classes yeah because you just and you'd be soaking it in like a a kid who has that passion to to oh, do yeah. it too Exactly, exactly. But uh, just getting the opportunity to launch his career by going to England and doing that with the uh, people that were around him. I mean, a lot of it has to do with who you know. I mean, in that case, it is with uh, what Linda Eastman at the time that kind of discovered him, which would be Paul McCartney's wife. So, oh, yeah. So, I mean, I think if you got Paul McCartney on your side and you're a bit talented, it might help you a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Well, he did get him his gig at the Monterey Pop Festival. I don't know if you know that. No. Yeah, and that's when Jimmy made a big splash when he came back to North America as the Monterey Pop Festival. So, uh, but that was because of Paul McCartney. Oh, okay. I saw a lot in Maui. He had a. Oh yeah, that was after Woodstock, Maui. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I don't know how many people turned up at that gig. I don't know. I. Don't know if it's a really large gig or not, right? 
and it seems like yesterday when we're talking about it, but Grace, it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, um, 1970 to now, it's kind of like, uh, I think we're starting to date ourselves. Not like as if we're thinking about three years ago, are we? Yeah, it seems like that. But uh, the way he's in, like everybody knows the name. Like, how crazy is that? Oh, Japan loves him. You know, a lot of Asian cities, you know, a lot of, sorry, Asian countries love Jimi Hendrix, right? So you go to, you go to the Philippines, they love him there. Just yeah. like they do Paul Marley. He's an internationally known person, right? Paul Marley, Michael Jackson, and, of course, Jimi Hendrix. And, uh, again, from Vancouver, of all places. That's crazy. And what do you think happened after, where, where did the mess start once Leon came out of, out of jail then to try and put the pieces together? Okay, mess in what aspect? Because this family's had messes in four or five different areas, but well, the big mess of his his passing, I guess, would be a mess. Well, yeah, I mean, it would leave a huge voice and you know void in the family, right? You know, to see that voice gone, right? So, uh, I mean, I'm quite sure the psychological fallout, from what I understand, from Leon was pretty glim for a very long time. You know, until uh, until Al Hendricks came out along with a. Uh, Paul Allen that kind of basically put the, you know, the nucleus of what uh, stuff pertaining to the rights and likeness and the music catalog and getting control of that and uh, making some kind of a family legacy for the family, right? So, because you got to realize, um, Al Hendricks, I mean, he, he's a gardener and he's a, a merchant seaman. So, I mean, you're not dealing with a person here that has business degrees. Right. Right. So he had, you know, a couple of lawyers in around him that were helping the situation. And, uh, and of course, when uh, Paul Allen came on, on board with things, because Paul's originally a guitar player. You know that? No. Yeah, he's a guitar no. player, but a computer geek. And of course, meeting Bill Gates again, you know, be, became the nucleus for, uh, for Microsoft. But he's a guitar player and he loved Jimi Hendrix before, uh, before Bill Gates came along. Oh, really? So that's what that connection is from others. And I've talked to Paul several times and uh, yeah, I miss him. He was a very interesting guy, Paul. Um, do you think he, he, if, if there had been some knowledge to put together his estate, which would have been, you know, linking his licensing and the, the, the use and the control of, of his business, do you think that it could have gone smoother? I talked to Paul like about that, and he wishes that he would have set it up a little bit differently without uh, um, certain people that are non-family relatives that were brought into the family, uh, poked their fingers in, and got control of things. Uh, uh, he likes how I do the Jimi Hendrix Family Foundation in Vancouver, because if there's any Hendrix rogue family members that go off in a tangent, they're not going to affect the main entity. And... Uh, Unfortunately, with the way that it was set up, the way that Paul set it up, which he re told me he regretted setting it up that way, but once the ball's rolling, what can you do? You can't go back and reinvent yourself and shut everything down, especially with who the family members are here. Yeah. And he wishes he would have set it up a little bit more like the, the way I've done it in Vancouver. And then uh, all of the Hendricks family members would be, you know, making money from the family kitty pot and they'd be dividing up to make sure that you can go through. Uh, life with a little bit of dignity in class and push on the legacy of uh, who your family is. So it sounds like if he had have put together a trust, sort of like what you have a foundation, a trust where people can be part of it, you'd 
you name yeah exactly people. and make sure that people aren't pillaging that trust because i mean there are so many people that have taken advantage of Jimmy and family members along the way here. Never mind the non-family member that kind of took it up to a whole new level, right? So, uh, I mean, a lot of that stuff at that level could have been curtailed a lot earlier, and that person wouldn't be doing what they're doing now. And, uh, I mean, it's a shame. It would be like you having a relative that's making millions of years, and it was your father, and you're not benefiting anything from it. A stranger is benefiting from it. That makes no sense, Yeah. Yeah, I'm quite sure Jimmy would have had a different slant on it if he was alive. Yes, I'm sure. Right. Um, do they continue ever since 1970 to be this wheel in the of a problem? Well, well, it didn't highlight until Al Hendricks passed away, and then everything went south pretty quickly after that, from what I understand. Which, Which is, is the father, if anybody yeah. wants to know. Yeah, Jimmy's father and Leon's father. So, um, but yeah, which is kind of sad. But up to that period of time, they were sort of enjoying the fruits of the labor and things that were they were doing. And uh, I understand certain promises was made by an individual, and they've never upheld those promises. Which means all the lawsuits ever since then, and the harassment of Leon by this individual in Seattle, and uh, it's pretty sad. Yeah, that is sad because. But, you know, sorry, yes. It it just changes your whole perspective as well as your life around yeah well there's one thing that person in seattle will never ever be is they will never ever be a blood hendrick so that's what i care about and that's what uh really matters at the end of the day yeah absolutely so um what do you think has it gotten easier by you creating this family foundation as well as knowing where this person's coming from to perhaps fix things now the person in Seattle fix things. That person's not fixing anything except for themselves. Yeah. I mean, do you know that? You know that uh, Jimmy's own mother isn't even buried at his graveside area there. Really? Yeah, it's got a big pile of headstones for people that aren't, aren't even related to the family directly. Kind of sad. How does that work? Why would they do that? I guess when you can manipulate things to your advantage and. Uh, you come from nothing, and uh, yeah, pretty sad to see. Le I, Leon, Leon had to actually pay for his own money that he took out of his own pocket, found his mother's grave, and had her move closer to Jimmy. Nice. Yeah. Which, yeah, because you sh you guys, the whole group should have a their own lot kind of thing. Well, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, there's a lot of Hendrix members buried in Vancouver. I mean... Who Leon is uh, named after his uncle? He's buried here in Vancouver. So here's a here's a very interesting story. If you uh, want an inside scoop here, so one of my board members is a guy named Sir James Barlow. Sir James Barlow is the great great grandson of Charles Darwin. He's uh, he's at an event in Vancouver, and a person comes up to him and says, "Listen, I'm writing a thesis pertaining to the old graveyards in Vancouver, and in one one of the graveyards are they they have what the uh, uh a section there technically at that time which is kind of sad called the colored section so uh, if you had a suntan you ended up here okay so um <laughs> so okay so um so when he was going through there and going through books he came across all this hendrix name all the time so uh so he was out trying to find the area where they were and there's like no no proper headstones or any of this kind of stuff just some little markers in the ground and uh, after about a week, 
the groundskeeper says, what, what is it you're looking for? He explained to him what he was looking He says, well, if you would have come and seen me the first day, <laughs> it's over this way. So, um, so, so what happened is, um, Sir James gets in touch with me and say, hey, listen, I think I found the family's plot in Vancouver. And I'm going, well, Leon doesn't even know. Leon thinks they're born, they're buried in the States. And I don't know why some of the relatives up in Vancouver here don't know exactly where somebody's buried, but I think yeah. a lot of them moved out of Vancouver. So, so anyways, have you ever seen Ancestors in the Attic? No. Okay, so the show's premised on this. You get in touch with these people and they try to find your relatives. Somehow the dead relatives have found Leon because what happened is I phoned Leon. I go, listen, and I'm a little bit emotional because I'm the only one that knows about this, right? Because, again, nobody knows in the family where they were buried. So, again, they thought they were buried somewhere in the States. and They're not. They're all buried here in Vancouver. So uh, what happened is uh, I told Leon we basically ended up having tears. And uh, uh, so he wants to make sure there's going to be some proper gravestones there and everything like that for those family members. And uh, a lot of weird things with coincidences. Um, there's a lot of 27s and 57s in this family. I was born September the 27th, 1957. But these grave areas like 27, 57, it's kind of weird number situation here. And, and Jimmy unfortunately passed away at 27. So, but uh, yeah, so um, so this is the reverse of ancestors in the attic where, I mean, of all people, the great, great grandson of Charles Darwin find your relatives via through somebody else. And then uh, and then Leon now knows where they're, where they're at and where they're buried in Vancouver. So that was a, a nice thing to bring to the family. Yeah, that sure is. You know? Because that, that must be disheartening not knowing. Well, yeah, exactly. And other people that have popped up because... Um, uh, when v Leon was in Vancouver, I was dealing with a company called Orchid Cellmark, and uh, there's a thing called microchondrial DNA, and it comes from the mother's side. It doesn't matter who the father's side of things are. So uh, I've had people get in touch with me that have submitted their DNA, and these are direct kids of Jimmy's. Oh, wow. Of w Which uh, uh, Jasmine was living with me for, I don't know, about a year and a half or whatever like that. She, she went back to the States, and... Uh, but I mean, there's, so there's a, but uh, we're in the midst of tracking down four more. Holy. Yeah. So, so there's four and then maybe another four? Yeah. So we're figuring seven to eight people. And after talking to people like Billy Cox, Gary Velez, I'm expecting there might be some more coming out of the uh, the woodwork, as one would say here. Because uh, Jimmy wasn't just a prolific guitar player. He was prolific in some other areas, too. It sounds like it. Of so, living life to the fullest. Yeah, exactly. But you know, DNA does not lie. So, uh, so Jimmy's got daughters, and he's got and he's got sons. Wow, that's crazy. So yeah. Um, can you put together a family plot then with that foundation? Like, is it are, is the family able to do that? I mean to re like like put new gravestones up here in Vancouver and everything like you that. You put it together so everybody's together. Uh, well, there's a little thing because you've got to realize there's native blood within the family here. And it's a bit of a taboo to unbury people and start moving them from point A to point B, right? So Leon actually felt bad about moving his mother. But the right thing is to have her closer to Jimmy, right? Yeah. yeah. Preferably in his own graveside area instead of the peripheral outside view of it, right? Which is a little ridiculous. But um, um, 
But the ones in Vancouver here, they just need to be like plotted properly, you know, as far as a, a nice gravestone's concerned, instead of instead of just a little marker in the ground. Yeah, absolutely. It deserves a family deserves that. Oh, yeah, definitely, exactly. I mean, like I say, the it's a Canadian family. Jimmy's Canadian, as far as I'm concerned. He happened to be born in Seattle. You know? Yeah. And the funny thing is now, okay, he doesn't just become uh, more Canadian. Then he's going to a Canadian Commonwealth main country, which is England. So he's connected with the Commonwealth countries again, which Canada's part of, right? So, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so all from Vancouver. That's crazy. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we were talking about backstage about um, going over there and doing some shows and coming back? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, um, I know that Leon wants to play more places in Europe because of the exception of, I mean, they treat him like rock royalty over there, right? So, uh, and it, and uh, no matter where he goes, every musician in town gravitates towards him, whether they be famous you know, be famous musicians or uh, just regular musicians that have 9 million questions to ask about guitar playing or Jimmy and everything like this, right? So Yeah. So, but, I wonder uh, if, any, if any of his kids are going to have the talent. I don't know. The ones that I know of don't have any musical talent in them. Right? So, but then again, they've only just really been discovered in the last five years to be confirmed being related to Jimmy and being uh, sons and daughters, right? So, uh, yeah, to think that that's how long it's taken. Can you, uh, it's just unreal. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of interesting things on why certain family members, meaning on the outside of the Hendricks family, would not tell the child that this is your dad or not your dad or, uh, I mean, there's this really nice kid that's in England, and I do a Skype call with him, and I'm looking at a white Jimi Hendrix, same nose, same bone features, the kinky hair and everything like this, and uh, it was always hidden from him who he was until oh. he went to a funeral of a family member, and he overheard a conversation saying, thank heavens, I can't mention his name, but uh, thank heavens so-and-so, so-and-so doesn't know that he's, you know, his great-grandfather or, or his grandfather's Jimi Hendrix. That's the, the family never ever shared that and buried it for some reason. The father never talked about it being the son of Jimmy. Wow. Right. So, I mean, everybody's got these little, I don't know, barriers for some reason on what it, on who and what they are. Right. So. And where do you think the family originated from? Well, I believe, well, the Hendrix name's a name from out of the the Netherlands. So I understand that if it's correct on what I hear uh, on the research that we've done is there's primarily a slave owned family way back in the day and they adopted the last name Hendrix. Because that's and the only way that they would have gotten a name because uh, not too many Hendrixes running around the, you know, the Savannah Desert of Africa that I know yeah. of, yeah. you know, especially way back then, right? So they adopted a lot of the different names and everything like that for the other through slavery, unfortunately, or some kind of a connection in that area. So it would have originated in the States, and then they moved to Vancouver, I guess. Well, if it's coming in through the Netherlands, I don't know, because obviously there is different situations with different kinds of slavery over there besides, I mean, not, besides black slavery, I mean, there's white slavery, too. I mean, there's a lot of people that were enslaved that were white, right? So, uh, but, uh, 
they still don't know the whole full story of what it is. So I've tried to sort of put it together with what I've been able to do. So, uh, but uh, yeah, in a, yeah. end up in Vancouver of all places at the end of the day. Yeah. And then to start here, you know, in Vancouver and actually have, have that huge followers from around the world. Oh yeah, I mean, there's been some good bands that come out of Vancouver, but nothing close to Jimi Hendrix. I mean, he's 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 the main crux of any geniuses coming out of Vancouver, as far as music is concerned. I won't mention the other people out of Vancouver, but uh, uh, you know, this one's a certified genius worldwide. Yeah, he is, and a pre uh, it doesn't matter who you say if it's his name, everybody knows it. It's it's just oh, common. Yeah. E e exactly, exactly. So. Uh, but, you know, if you want to know more about Jimmy when he was younger and the musical aspect of things, uh, you know, I could I could bring Billy Cox. We should do We should do a podcast with Billy Cox. Absolutely. I mean, he's his he's his childhood friend from when he was like 18, 19 years until like still playing today. Yeah. And we'll get Leon sometime. We'll catch him and nab him and. Put him yeah, in the booth. <laughs> it would be nice to have Leon and Billy Cox and myself and yourself. And because uh, you get everything from the childhood from Leon. And then past that, you want to talk to Billy because Leon's kind of out of the situation. Yeah. Right. So. And, and you, Leon, Leon was in, in jail in Canada, like in Vancouver. Or well, he did graduate from Ocala. Oh, did he? Yeah. For uh, different little things he was in there for, from what I understand. So, uh, yeah. That's but, too bad. That's pretty Canadian to me if you're in Ocala. <laughs> which, which, back in the day, if people don't know, was a correctional institute that was in uh, Burnaby, basically, right? Yeah. On Royal, yeah, on, on Royal Oak and Burnaby. Yeah. No, no longer there, right? So, well. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think Leon was doing a tour of correctional centers back in the day. Oh. <laughs> so this is how he's been able to get into music industry. It's kind of the same thing. It's just a different crowd, right? I guess. Or maybe partly the same crowd. Exactly. So, yeah. So, um, yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. I think uh, our listeners would love, love that. And uh, I think we don't talk enough about famous people. We, we don't. Whether they're still alive or passed away. Yeah. Well, I think there are people that talk about them, but there, I know, you know, I mean, it's been since 1970, since Jimmy's passed away. I mean, there's, you know, it's a few generations as far as age groups and everything like that's come and gone. Right. So. Well, how long would you say that his estate has been in a condom, sort of a mess of some sort, like a legal dynamics are yeah, yeah has it been ongoing since the beginning Unfortunately, since al passed away so. i mean this person even went to the point of leon not even using his full name i mean it's ridiculous yeah and to think that after the dad so the dad got the estate i'm assuming from jimmy well, no, they, they had to wrangle it, and this is where Paul Allen came in, because uh, when you got a guy backing you up that's a billionaire and you're starting to go after an estate, I'm going to say that he can probably make things happen fast and quick for you. And that's what he did for L, and for the family. Oh, good. He just wishes he had it set up differently where uh, certain individuals 
whether it's a direct Hendricks family member or not, can't uh, overthrow the situation and manipulate it for their own personal gain. It would need to be set up as uh, kind of what I've done with the Family Foundation of Vancouver here. Yeah. Or uh, once money start coming in and everything like this with what we're doing, that all the family members benefit by it. Yes. That only makes sense. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you name the people who are going to benefit from it. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's set up in a way that not one single individual can overthrow it and take it over and not have the other family members participate. And that's where, unfortunately, with the intelligence level that Paul has and and the, actually the honest ability and uh, the innocence of setting it up the way that he did made probably sense at the time. But you didn't know somebody was going to come out from the other left side of the field and do what they did. Right. So. Right. But I talk about that on our show all the time. It, it just needs to be one, one well, in the mess. That's all it takes, you know, which is sad. So, uh, but uh, I understand things are in the works behind the scenes that uh, might be straightening things out fairly quick here. So. Uh, Good. Is, um, when did Al die then, the father? Oh, God. You know, I'm really horrible with these particular dates. The reason why is when I started putting the Jimi Hendrix Family Foundation, what Jimmy did was in the past, as far as I'm concerned from there, I was looking towards the future to do what needs to be done pertaining to trying to help out. And, uh, and my, my, you know, my business model is kind of like when I was impressed with Tina Hendricks is to set up an entity pertaining to helping at-risk youth to keep them away from guns, drugs, and gangs. And as you know, in our society, we really need that, right? So yeah. Uh, but at the same time, employ family members that would like to be working for the entity at the same time, right? So, yeah, that's true. Um, and kind of do a duel where you're doing something good to help others, but you're benefiting from from being a part of it. I guess well, exactly. Right. My mentality was to think about tomorrow. What happened in the past happened in the past, right? So, uh, yeah. You know. So, um, so I think artists whether it's art or music they should definitely set up a foundation or a trust which we call it in estate planning um, and put the people that they want to benefit from this moving forward yeah but you know in canada there's different kinds of trust there's only so many things you can sort of do in certain areas right so yeah um i mean you'd have to see a proper a state planner to do that and somebody that's wrapped up a bit i mean i i know how it's done but there's like five or six different ways to go right so. yes there is and and people just get so busy with their busy musician life yeah that they just don't take time because it's not going to happen yeah and like i'll give an example of the different kinds of trusts there's like 501c3s in the states which is charitable type trusts but they also have family type trusts and then uh, like in my particular case I live under a family trust but that family trust is close to 800 years old so uh, so you're basically still running something under those rules and regulations back then which is automatically grandfathered mine's from Europe so uh, which supersedes any of the stuff that's over here right so yeah uh, but you know as you know each individual country has their own little form of it but uh I know that in the States, there's a lot of really good different trusts you can set up properly to have family members working and, uh, yes. and charity around it, right? So. Yes. No, that only sounds beneficial for tax purposes as well as 
keeping everything on the good side of things and not having somebody come in and try to change it or manipulate it. Well, yeah, plus the thing is, besides attacking the business aspect, it's nice to have a family entity that's together. It keeps family members together instead of everybody kind of going in their own different directions and trying to wing it and uh, not have the cohesiveness of the family unit, right? So, Yeah, and the direction. Well, yeah, especially if it happens to be a family where one person's raised millions and millions of dollars, and uh, it's nice to have the family benefit by that aspect of it into the future long after the first two or three generations are gone and setting it up properly at the beginning makes the difference. Okay. Al died in 2002. Yeah. I was going to say, I know it was in the 2000s, uh, but I didn't realize, uh, was it 2002 already? Eh? So 22 years ago. Yeah. Almost. And, and his grandmother, you know, his grandmother lived on the native reserve in North Vancouver. No. Yeah, so if you're uh, looking in Vancouver, if you're bottom of Lonsdale and you look to the right, there is a native band there, and she lived in that area there where Leon would come and visit. But they used to go to an old church there that's still there. I think it's a Catholic-based church. And uh, that's where Jimmy and Leon used to go to. And there's little pieces of... Oh, here's an interesting thing I could mention here. There's a little piece... You know how they have the stained glass windows? Yeah. When the sun comes down and hits on a certain angle of that... Uh, you can see something on the floor, and it would be purple. And that's kind of where the idea of purple haze came out of in Jimmy's creative mind. Because if you look at the words of purple haze, actually has nothing to do with drugs. It's just that Timothy Leary brought out a drug called purple haze at the time with that drug culture, right? And uh, But it's a native spiritual song. I mean, uh, when you're in a church, when you go, excuse me, will I kiss the sky? Who are you kissing to in the sky? Yeah. God, right? So... Uh, that's where that song originated from. But uh, so, yes, yeah, cool. So they went, you know, back and forth from that reserve to Vancouver, where different places they live. And of course, Vice Chicken Shack, where his grandmother also worked back in the day. And uh, <laughs> the Georgia Viaduct area, this, which is uh, Hogan's Alley area, which is all mm -hmm. gone now. Uh, so, I mean, uh, and uh, the uh, one relative there actually was very prolific in. Um, setting up a church for people to go to. And by the way, hmm. actually, I, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm Canadian, but my grandmother's not on a stamp in Canada like Jimmy's grandmother is. She's on a Canadian stamp. Is that right? Yeah, she's on a Canadian stamp here, here in Canada. And what did she get on the stamp for? Uh, pertaining to civil rights, uh, the pioneering areas that she did pertaining to church and giving back to her community. Oh, wasn't that awesome? Yeah. And she died before Al? Oh, good question. Again, something from Should the past. Yeah, yeah, you look it up. You 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 got uh you got your Google fingers are happening. Lucille Jetter? Uh that that that's the mother. That's Jimmy's mother. So this would be Rose Lenore Rose Hendricks. Yeah. Rose Hendricks. So her parents? Yeah. Lucille Hendricks. Uh, well, it would be, it would be Al's side of the family. Oh, okay. Right, so. 
because you got the Seattle component with Lucy, right? Yeah. And and actually, that's you know one of the guitars I got, Jimmy's guitar, that was the one at uh, uh, that was upstate New York, and um, it's actually painted salmon color, they call it, or whatever, like it's kind of a pink salmon, but it was named after his grandmother, Rose, in Vancouver. I've, oh, I've, okay. I've got the guitar. I'm going to be putting it up for charity later on. Yeah, I wanted you to mention that, but I'll quickly just say that Sonora Nora Moore, Jimmy's grandmother, That's was right. born in 1883. She was a vaudeville dancer. Yes. In Georgia to Fanny Moore, originally from Ohio, and Robert Moore Sr., a Georgia, Georgia native, was half Cherokee and half North, half African American. Yeah. And Robert Moore Sr. was a freed slave. Wow. Yeah. So that yeah. would have been in the 1800s. Yeah. Because I know from kind of understanding it from Leon, the way he understands, some of them made their way from Halifax to Vancouver and some came up from the States. Somehow, somehow ended up in this place called Vancouver. Wow. Um, so tell us about your guitar that you're going to be having for charities. Uh, which guitar? I've got Michael's Gibson Victory guitars. I knew Michael back in the day. Uh, then I've got Jimi Hendrix's Rose guitar. And then I've got the Bob Marley guitar. So you're doing Bob's first, right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I have the only Bob Marley guitar in the public domain in a planet out of 8 billion people. It's actually given to me here in the Pacific Coliseum, and uh, I'm putting it up for charity at a thing called uh, uh, um, bobsguitar.com. No, actually, it's www.bobsguitar.org. And uh, basically how that works is this. Um, the guitars, I've been offered $10 million U.S. for it. I don't need the money. I'm putting it up for charity. So what a, somebody's going to end up with a guitar for $10 at the end of the day once we do a worldwide press release. And how it works is this is people, once we do our press release, will come online, submit a letter of 750 words or less why they or their charity should get the guitar. You pay a $10 processing fee if you submit. A lot of people believe in more than just one charity. So if you got two or three charities, if you submit two letters, it's $15, $20 for three letters. And uh, then it will go to through an analytics program, and there's going to be a selection committee that picks out who – it takes it out of my realm and makes it completely transparent. And uh, from who the selection committee is, somebody will end up with Paul Marley's guitar in the world, and all the money's going to charities and societies. I'm doing it for – apparently I have to do it for a dollar a year. Jeez. I, I, I was, was going to hold out for an American dollar because I think it's 135 right now, but a Canadian dollar will find – it, yeah. price, right so uh so the idea was to do the the bob marley guitar the first year and then the second year would be like a www.jimmysguitar.org and then the third year would be www.michaelsguitar.org and michael's being sorry and michael being michael jackson michael jackson in case who the heck is he another mess of an estate yeah, he's something that comes out of Vancouver again here. Well, actually, his estate's pretty clean. Um, he just he, he owed a lot of money, but then again, you got a money generator. Uh, uh, there's a chap I got to know in Vancouver here called Long John Baldry that was a really good friend of mine because uh, another friend of mine before I met him was a guy named Gary Taylor, and he ran Gary Taylor's nightclub in Vancouver, and Gary ended up being his manager. 
So now if anybody doesn't know who Long John Ballery is, he kind of introduced blues really heavy in, in Europe and in England. And the people that he influenced at the blues level that he was doing at the time was Eric Clapton, Jeff Beck, Keith Richards. It goes on and on to a long list, right? Yeah. But uh, but he had some interesting people in his band, Long John Baldry, and the bands that opened for his shows back in the day in Europe were the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. They opened for this guy. Wow. He was the main guy. So, But uh, he had two interesting people come out of that band. Um, one guy uh, being a really good up-and-coming singer named Rod, and Rod became Rod Stewart and then got his career after that. And that was from... Uh, I think they were called the Steamrollers or something at that time, if I remember. And then another guy, well, he had a saxophone player in his band named Reg. And then he had a keyboard uh, um, um, that was uh, a keyboard player that was in the band. And he uh, was a really, really, really good keyboard player, not really good at putting lyrics together. And um, uh, actually... Sorry, the saxophone player's name was Elton, not Reg. The keyboard player was Reg. And that Reg ended up taking the Elton part of the saxophone player's name for his own career. And he took Long John Baldry's name, John, and put it together. You got Elton John. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. And from, that started from um, uh, from uh, from him, yeah, from Long John Baldry. So, uh Long John Baldry told me about this interesting club that was in the States called Studio 54. Now, because I'm a musician, going to a club, that's like me going to an office. I, you know, I, I want to go to the office, do what I need to do, and leave. I don't really want to go to the week, the office on the weekends. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, so but he kept on him, him, uh, impressing me about this place that's an incredible place. He says, it'll blow your mind. I go, well, I don't need to go there. It's another nightclub. But he goes, not like this place, right? So... Uh, Ended up going down there, and uh, the second day that I was there, I, I met Michael. And him and I were the same age, same kind of sleeping habits. I only sleep three hours a night. Michael was the same way. So I got uh, got to know him over a period of time. And uh, But he's a, like the reason I got the guitar from him is, like, he's a keyboard player. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Well, well yeah. Like, he learned uh, his music's on the keyboard, and... Like he says, well, you know, I'm an entertainer, I'm a, you know, a dancer and a keyboard player. I'm not a guitar player. And I go, yeah, but you do something else. Do you do, uh, what was it? Um, of course, I'm playing here, right? But I was doing that at the time. And uh said, oh, yeah, that you sing too, don't you? That's right, too, you sing. So, uh, but I ended up getting a guitar. He says, you'll do with it more than I will. Because he, <laughs> he was aware I was playing left-handed and right-handed. He knew I had the Michael, the Bob Marley guitar. And here's an interesting thing. Do you know that the Jacksons? This very, very um, somewhat pious family pertaining to religion and being very clean living and stuff, everything actually did a concert with Bob Marley and the Whalers back in Jamaica. So you get this really nice, clean cut family that doesn't drink, doesn't smoke cigarettes, doesn't swear, probably, doing shows with a hardcore Rastafarian <laughs> cannabis smoking band. <laughs> a very interesting mixture. What a combination. Yeah, so, uh, so, so the, I mean, Michael knew Bob Marley. I didn't know this until I started talking to him. So uh, but I ended up giving that, having that guitar given to me in the States. And uh, he signed it. And I go, like, I look, he, like he was going to ruin the guitar by signing something. on it. I go, no, no. And, but by the time I was, you know, by the time I said no, he'd already put his signature on it. 
Oh, nice. Which, looking back, is kind of nice, but I, it's a guitar from a friend. I'm not there to get a signature. I've never been a groupie. I've never asked for a backstage pa pass from anybody, never asked for an autograph, a guitar pick. If you're a cool dude, you get we get along together fine. And that's kind of what it is, right? So, Well, it's getting to know more and more people. I hear, Mike, did you know Michael Jackson then when he was with Lisa Marie Presley, or was this, like, after? Well, uh, well yeah, like, I talked to him over the years and stuff like this, but um, during that tour, when I first met him, that was the Victory Tour, and the guitar I've got, I've got is a Gibson Victory guitar, but I don't know because I haven't been able to talk to a guy named Chuck Burge. He has since passed away, but Chuck Burge is the individual that designed this guitar, and it was a victory model, and he's the one that gave Michael that guitar. I right? see. That's kind of how I, the way I understand it. But Michael's not a guitar player. Never. That's the only guitar he ever owned. I mean, he never owned anything else, for, as far as I know. So uh, He must I, have had a lot of keyboards, though. Well, yeah, I think what it is is there's always musical instruments around, and he had access to it, so I guess he didn't really need to own anything directly himself i'm surmising here i'd never asked right so yeah i had heard his dad was really hard on them yeah I, you know you give up you give up a, a childhood and you know listen to michael i knew he was a big kid we were the same age like 27 or whatever like that at that time and uh it's like uh yeah we were just i identify i'm a big kid myself right but i had a childhood seems like i've never grown out of it but anyways uh <laughs> in his particular case i mean it was touring and doing everything and sacrificing and everything like that and you know from the career point of view it's uh i mean to give up your childhood and maybe have an incredible career make a lot of money uh it's a interesting toss-off right so it is you know uh, i never asked him the question if you had to do it over again would you do it differently i never asked those kind of questions because uh of whatever it was but uh yeah miss him nice guy yeah, he sounded very nice, too, and very quiet-spoken, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like he says, I'm, a, I'm not a guitar player. I'm a keyboard player. You know, you'll do more with this guitar than I will. So, uh, But, you know, the, the way I'm doing this project uh, over a three-year period, I'm just kind of basically being an extension of what they might have done if they were still alive. Because you got to remember, Michael gave a lot back to his community, Jimmy gave a lot back to the community more than people would even know or that would be aware about. And uh, uh, of course we know about Bob Marley giving back to his community, really big pertaining to food and helping people and giving out money in Jamaica and actually uniting Jamaica with the two opposition leaders at the time. Uh, so um, I'm just trying to be an extent, an extension to give back the way that if they were around, they could have given back, but uh Look at it this way, like a lot of people say, oh, it's an amazing thing that you're doing. Well, first of all, I'm not the hero. I just came up with a good idea to be able to help. The yeah. hero, the guy that gave me the guitar, Michael Jackson, Bob Marley. Now, never met Jimmy, unfortunately, but, um, you know, be an extension of what they're kind of doing and give back to society. It's the only thing to do. I mean, I could sell it. I don't need the money. But thing is, is this is I think that's disrespectful. If you take a friend's guitar and sell it for capital gains where it can help somebody and help feed people. I got a lot of guitars, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I will miss them in a way, but you know what, if you're going to help a lot of people, yeah, it makes more sense. Nobody cares about a guitar from me. Yeah. You know? Or me. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, uh, although I think my son's looking at my guitar, so he's the only one that's interested. So that's that's falling short from the tree. But uh, but you know, when you get three iconic type instruments that are in this particular type area, uh, it makes more sense to give back to you know to society and help people. And uh, I'm gonna yeah. help a lot of people I'll never meet. I think that's absolutely, kind of cool. and that is cool. Yeah. And that's what they would have done, I'm sure. Well, yeah, you know, with the advent of the internet and uh, certain people that are my support group in and around me, uh, and uh, you know, and the uh, the mentality and the ingenious brains of a guy named Tim Berners Lee to make something like this happen, which is the end, you know, he's the inventor of the internet. He's the one that wrote all the protocols with one other two, one or two other people. Uh, but uh, I did have a period. I did have a thing way back in the past called Different Journeys, One Destination. But I was told that my concept was too forward-thinking. I had to wait for the internet to catch up. Well, that makes sense. There was and a lot of... Yeah, and it's really caught up, which is good, right? So Yeah, it has. So I'm able to help a lot better this way. But, uh, you know, people just have to keep an eye out for www.bobsguitar.org. Look for, uh, you know, you'll see it in the newspaper or online or maybe even a podcast like this. Or on the radio or something, maybe. Oh, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I mean, feel free to get in touch with me if you want to talk about this in the future, right? So Yeah, just put a comment down below and everybody like, share and subscribe to the show um, so that you don't miss out because we're going to have Sir Johan come back, I think, aren't we? We we should do another show or two. Yeah. Well, um. Again, Leon's stuck in a recording studio, whether he likes it or not, right? So, um. Yeah, it'd be nice to maybe do a show with Leon or, or with Billy and Leon at the same time. We could turn it into a one and a half, two hour show. Yeah, maybe we could actually just go down to the recording studium and pull him out for a half hour or something. Plop him down. But when he's in a recording studio, he's in a recording studio. You, you can't drag him out with a wrecking ball. <laughs> he likes a recording studio, you know? Well, it is an escape. Oh, I yeah. Think. And, you know, you got to realize, you know, when Leon is gone, he's the only direct descendant of Jimmy's that's alive. When he's that's gone, that, that's severed. Now, now we're into the third generation, then, right? So, right. You know, so, so, Tina is the third generation, or? Oh uh, no, T, Well, from uh, well, she would be the second rate generation from Leon. So, uh, but okay. Uh, you know, so once Leon's gone, and the same thing with Billy Cox. I, I mean, it's uh, how can I say? It would be the 11th hour to put everything together like this. That would make sense on something like this, right? So. Well, we'll give it a shot. Yeah, hey, well, what, what the heck? I can make that happen. I just happen to have that phone number. <laughs> That's a good one to have. Yeah. Well, thank you, sir, Johan. Um, I met you by chance, and I have never forgotten the, I think it was possibly the universe or God or whatever you want to say that put us together and I'm so thankful for that opportunity. It could actually be that marble chess table that put us together. Perhaps, perhaps. That's set up in the living room, by the way. Um, but yeah, kids play on it all every day, right? So oh, good. good. Well, that's using their brain. Yeah. That's, that's a good thing. Well, you don't, um, know, you don't know whose door you're knocking on. You don't know who's knocking on the door. And this is... Uh, have, you ever, have you ever been to a door that you knocked on and thought, I don't want that item very much anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go in. 
I felt comfortable with you. So <laughs> it was good. It was cool. Uh -huh. Yes, absolutely. So thanks. Thank you for coming out and spending your time. And sorry, we didn't get Leon on here, but we will next time. Or we'll try anyways. That's all we can do with a musician. Yeah. And thank you for spending time with me. I appreciate it. Uh, no, it was awesome. Thank you for your insights and your little secret tips that you had there. A few of them anyway. You know, there's a problem being an insider's insider because a lot of the insiders wouldn't know even what I know, but it kind of goes with my the way I've been since I was 16 years old. So yeah, you know, no, right. So we appreciate that. We do. Yeah. Well, thank so, you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks everybody for coming on our show. Um, please like share and subscribe and comment down below and I can pass it on to Sir Johan. If you have any comments or questions and maybe comment what, who you would like to see or discussed next. Um, would you like to put this together? Like, Sir Johan said that uh, we could get a bunch of people together and talk more about other musicians as well and insights that they have. So I'm excited to, to kind of go down that road as well. So thank you and don't forget to share, like, and subscribe to the show and we'll talk to you next week, I'm sure. And thank you, stay safe, be kind, till next time. Bye, Bye. everybody, love you. Bye.